Flight Guys Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul. Your smart guide to the state of Turkey. Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Cansu Çamlıbel. As always, coming to you from my house in Istanbul. I lost track of the weeks already. It's roughly two and a half months. We are self-isolating as a dual English team and also the co-host of this podcast, Can Selçuk'i. Certainly the Turkish government has been imposing curfews, lockdowns in 31 cities. These have been mostly weekend curfews. However, in some instances, the curfews were bridged with national holidays, like the one we just had, May 19th, the Youth Day in Turkey, which is dedicated to Turkey's young generations by our Republic's founder, Mustafa Kemal Atatürk. Can, hi there, and happy, belate- happy belated Youth Day. To you too as well. Did you have a chance to observe the fantastic fireworks by the Bosphorus from your home on the night of May 19th? Unfortunately, I didn't have any visuals, but like everyone, I heard the noise. Like many people, my reaction was to question whether if it's still necessary to use fireworks for any occasion, by the way, because of the noise and the impact on the environment and the birds. So I didn't see them, but I did indeed hear them. Well, I'm also against having too many occasions for the fireworks works but on national holiday you know some joy some visual feast is always good for the eyes and you know you're not the only one who couldn't see the fireworks apparently and it's fair to say that probably the only people who could see the fireworks organized by the Istanbul municipality main opposition CHP led Istanbul municipality only ones who could see the fireworks were probably the ones living in houses overlooking the Bosphorus in Istanbul Because, as you said, when I heard the sound of it, I turned on the TV because I couldn't see the fireworks from my apartment as well. So I turned on the TV to see what was going on. And it wasn't shown on no TV channel in Turkey. And it's because of the embargo all the mainstream TV channels in Turkey are forced to apply to Mayor Imamoğlu and everything they do. Imagine... If it was the presidency organizing a similar event, and imagine how that will be covered uh, by the same media in this country, all of them will be showing live footage and anchors in the studios will be crying out of joy probably. But anyways, you are here at Duval English, so this is unchained journalism. I don't want to brag too much about ourselves, but that's quite something in Turkey and I feel that needs to be reminded constantly and of course we value your support our audience and readers support thanks for having an interest in our work and John now back to business after a few weeks of having expert guests uh, to bring you in-depth analysis of some important files in Turkey it's just two of us today John and I will try to explain to you what is going on in Ankara these days the capital of Turkey The political arena has been definitely heating up after a long coronavirus pause. Let's start with this role, this exchange of statements, harsh statements between the good party of Meral Akşener and pro-Kurdish HDP. Have you been following the, the dispute? Yes, Cansu. It was impossible not to follow as, you know, all the news cycle was dominated with this bickering. Before you go into the details of what this means and why now, maybe it will be important to remind our audience that we are talking about two smaller parties 
in what we may call as the opposition bloc, democracy bloc. In fact, the main opposition leader, Kemal Kılıçdaroğlu, calls it this way. And of course, by the democracy bloc, they mean a loose alliance of opposition parties who have a joint democratization agenda against the anti-democratic rule of Erdogan's AKP. I will summarize it this way, but please take it from here. And why do you think now is the time to have this this kind of a debate between the two small parties of this opposition bloc? I think it's political positioning, Jansu. And let me start with Meral Akşener's good party and E-party and why they might have opted a more hawkish stance vis-a-vis the pro-Kurdish HDP. Now, for a while now, we have been seeing the vote share of AK Party going down, except for April and May, as we discussed before, due to COVID response. But if you look at the general trend, AK Party seems to be losing shares, and most of the share seems to be going to the MHP, their partner in the People's Alliance, the Nationalist Party. Now, E-Party, the good party, must have looked at this and said, look, if these voters are leaving our party for a more nationalistic party, then we should be able to get some of that share. After all, as you know, E-Party was an offshoot from the MHP. After an election as bid for MHP leadership, after that failed, she parted ways with the party and established her own party to be positioned in the opposition bloc. Now, she has been struggling to appeal to the religiously conservative base of AK Party. Those unhappy voters prefer to vote for MHP now. But E-Party is right there in a position to be able to attract a part of that share. But as you know, for a long time, because E-Party has been within this loose democratic front, which includes the pro-Kurdish HDP, They've been criticized very harshly, both by the MHP, but also by AK Party, vis-a-vis their stance on nationalism. So I think they are repositioning themselves to leave no doubts as to their nationalistic worldview. And I think the real calculus behind this, Jansu, from E-Party's perspective, is to actually attract those disgruntled AK Party voters that choose to go to MHP. And... From a political strategy perspective, I think this makes perfect sense. That's interesting. I mean, I want to hear why this makes perfect sense. Can you pause there for a second? Because I have a question. There are people who think that these moves of Mrs. Akshener might actually be targeting something else. I mean, these are obviously speculations and question marks. We are just trying to make sense of these political steps. But some suspect Mrs. Akshener is actually eyeing a partnership with Mr. Erdogan's party, AKP. As many of the polls indicated, including yours, Erdogan's alliance with MHP is not enough to win the 51% at any election right now. If I'm not mistaken, AKP together with MHP hardly make 43 to 45%. AKP is usually around 35% and MHP On its best day, around 10. However, some polls show them around 8%. When MHP is also not doing that great, and E-Party has already reached a similar threshold, wouldn't it be possible for E-Party, for Mrs. Akshener, to be part of the governing alliance? Uh, No, it wouldn't. And I will give you an answer to that. But first, let me say a few words on the numbers. Mm -hmm. Now, the vote shares that you shared do resemble what's out there, but pre-COVID times. During April and May, our polls, as well as many other respected polling companies' results, 
show that the People's Alliance of AK Parti and MHP have actually bordered the 50%. They are around 47-48%. Now, we will see how that will go uh, in the future with the economic hardships. But, but still, you're right. But John, still, still less than 51%. They are below 50%. You're yeah. right. They need a push or they need a new partner. However, this partner cannot be E-Party. Why not? And not because necessarily the leadership would prefer it or not. Because the reason why people are voting for one coalition or the other in Turkey right now is because if you're voting in the Nations Alliance, the Millet Alliance of the opposition, then the main motivation of the voter is to not vote for Erdogan. So this is the primary driver, primary motivation of voters that vote for the parties of Nations Alliance, the opposition. So if their party switches sides to team up with the president, they wouldn't necessarily follow. And I think this is a misconception that's being voiced too many times. The analysis build on the assumption that the electorate will follow wherever the leadership will go. This is not the case today. And this was not the case before either. And let me give you an example. Back in 2016, late 2016, early 2017, as you know, David Pachili, MHP leader, decided to switch sides and team up with the president. In the aftermath of the referendum, the good party of Meral Akşener was founded and four to five percentage points that were formerly MHP voters actually switched sides and went along with Ms. Akşener because they did not approve the decision of their leader to change sides, because their primary motivation to vote for MHP back in the day was to not vote for Mr. Erdogan. That applies today to E-Party, to any party, really. So if next week, for example, my election were to say, you know what, we thought it over, we think that you know the president is doing a good job, so we're going to be in the People's Alliance from now on, They might very well take that decision, but their voters will not follow. And they know this. Let's assume that your analysis holds for Mrs. Akshener. That's the motivation behind her recent political statements. What happens to the opposition bloc? Because no matter what happens, if there is a few points of increase in the share of votes of the good party, Still, it doesn't really make sense if they are not acting together, unified on main issues, a constitutional change attempt from the governing bloc or anything similar to that. There should be a unity among uh, the opposition bloc so that it makes sense. So from my reading, good party, I mean, even like having 15% wouldn't mean anything in itself. Am I wrong? Why is she opting for hurting the alliance and making the cleavage with the Kurds more visible? It's a fair question. And my immediate answer is that that doesn't necessarily have to be the result. But of course, they will have to walk a very fine line in demonizing or not the HDP. You know, let's think for a while. What does it mean, the democratic opposition, the democratic front? What does it really mean? Where did they really collaborate? The place where they really collaborated, in fact, was the municipal elections, whereby HDP voters voted for CHP candidates who were also backed by E-Party voters. So they did not really, on an institutional level, had to sit together and decide. It's not like they signed a memorandum of understanding. 
So the coalition is a very weak one in that sense. And I don't think HDP really cares what the E-Party thinks. They are sort of guarantee in this. Their trustee in this relationship is the CHP. Of course. And, for example, in the case of Istanbul, Mayor Imamoğlu was a candidate that went down very well with the HDP voter, even if there wasn't a decision by the HDP uh, leadership to, to support Imamoğlu. Now, I'm not saying that without their direction, all HDP voters would go and vote for him. You know, it was an easy sell for the HDP base, at least for Istanbul. So the question comes down to what's the coalition really? I mean, where do they really cooperate anyways? You gave the example of a constitutional change. A constitutional change doesn't happen without CHP anyways. In the current state of things, the opposition, even if they all came together, they wouldn't be able to make a constitutional change anyways. If the government wanted to make a constitutional change, they would need the CHP to do that. So, again, the question is, what's the coalition really in effect? From that perspective, as long as E-Party manages to walk a fine line, I don't see that much of a damage for that democratic front. What about uh, President Erdogan's strategy here? Because regardless of what happened between HDP and MHP, and I'm sure he and his close circle is watching this role, having fun in their seats. But what about his strategy? Because as you said, they managed to raise their votes maybe a few points during the, the COVID outbreak, President Erdogan and Mr. Bahçeli, their alliance. But he's now coming back to this with the recent public speeches that he delivered. It looks like he's also trying to raise the tone of polarization, which he has been doing in the last decade, and it worked well for him in the run-up to the elections every time. Although there are no declarations about any possible early election, and then judging by today's picture, it's quite risky, I believe, for Mr. Erdogan to call an early election, given the recession, the coming recession in Turkish economy. But do you think he might actually have in the back of his mind a SNAP election? Is that why he is trying to polarize the political debate and consolidate his base behind him? Why is he all of a sudden after the country is coming out of this major pandemic, why is he all of a sudden opting for a more polarized tone in, in politics? I think the reason why he is doing it is twofold. First, obviously, the bump of COVID actually makes you think if his share of the pie will be enough to push him over 50%. Because if the vote share of the ruling alliance was let's say, 40% today, then obviously polarization would not help, right? Because you're not going to get that 10 points by this kind of policy. But when you're at 47, 48%, it might actually work if you couple it with some other policy, which is that for a while now, Erdogan and his team are really equating his political victory to the victory of the state. And if you're against Erdogan, you're increasingly positioned by the media, by opinion leaders, as being against the state. Well, we have to remind that when you say by the media, it's totally controlled by them. And all the opinion leaders that we see on Turkish TVs are mostly controlled by them. So Actually, that's the narrative. That's the narrative coming out the of the palace. And that plays into his electoral strategy. Politicians have, in order to get votes, they have push factors and pull factors. For the longest time, Erdogan had a very strong pull factor, meaning 
people were drawn to him, right? He would get his share of votes, not because of the push power of his opponent, but his own pull power, pull factor. Now, however, that's not the case. He needs an opposition that pushes the electorate to his side. And when you equate yourself with the state, it's very easy to position your opponents as being against the state. And that's a strong push factor, which I think Erdogan is counting on, that will push the disgruntled AK Party voters towards him to tip him over the 50%. But Jack, that's, here, here. I think, uh, what the strategy is. I'm not convinced whether people would see it that way in a longer period. Okay, maybe there's a bump in the points in the last month, but then you are trying to strike this balance. You're trying to uh, appeal to the disgruntled AKP voters by blaming the municipalities uh, for holding aid campaigns for people who are most affected by the COVID outbreak. I don't understand why people are buying this. What is, the, what is the calculation here? Can you really base a rational policy on such an assumption that opposition is a virus and they are actually not fighting the virus, but they are virus themselves? I mean, and this flies with his water base? I don't really get it. Look, just that's one of the many things, many elements of the president's discourse. I mean, I'm not obviously suggesting that particular narrative works on his electorate, no, but I, that's part of it. I, I know, know. you did. I know you didn't say that. That wasn't part of your analysis. But what really strikes me is that you know their points went up while he was doing this, while the AKP and his government was trying to stop the CHP-led municipalities distribute the aid. They were blocking their bank accounts by uh, using the interior ministry. And in the meantime, their points went up. I mean, this is what I don't understand. But then I don't see how this is going to play out uh, with his water base in a longer period. Do you think this might eventually work? Do we have previous instances that suggest that this strategy works every time. You are right. Combined with the economic conditions, this kind of strategy is rather difficult to sustain over two and a half years until 2023. We shouldn't really contemplate a scenario of snap elections, but rather early elections, perhaps. Maybe, uh, you know, at the end of 2021 or first half of 2022. Now, over that kind of a period, this could be sustained. And then if the economy sort of picks up, albeit relatively, then that would be a good time perhaps to have the elections. But I'm not really expecting snap elections. And by snap elections, I mean within the next six months. Right. Because politics aside, the economics of it makes no sense. It would be the kind of risk that I would say Cameron took with the Brexit vote. It would be a miscalculated, misinformed decision, I find. And quite frankly, There is no indicator, public or otherwise, that actually makes me think that Erdogan is planning a, a snap elections. Well, there are calls from a party leader for an early election. Mr. Davutoglu, in a recent statement, he said uh, they are actually ready for an early election. What is his strategy, you think? What is uh, Davutoglu trying to do? The opposition always wants elections, right? Because fundamentally their objective is to leave opposition and become the government. His 
probably trying to project a sense of confidence, although their poll numbers uh, don't really project that. As I said, uh, Jansu, a couple of episodes ago, I think once we are really in the, the plateau towards elections, I think these new smaller parties will uh, begin talking about uh, forming their own coalitions. And, you know, the Vutoli is doing what any other small or big opposition party would do, call for elections. For today, time to say goodbye. Any final comments? Well, no. Thanks to everybody for uh, listening. Those uh, listening to us from Turkey, maybe have a nice Bayram holiday over the next uh, week. Although it won't make much of a difference since we are home anyways. Uh, see you next week. Well, seems like it's the final week and we are coming back to normal and uh, summer is around the corner. Jansu, I have to say there has been never a summer before this. I was so excited to get back to the office. <laughs> Me too, Jansu. Well, stay safe, stay healthy and see you next week.